Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm talking to Dr. Sarah Needham Beck. Sarah is a research fellow um, in the Occupational Performance Research Groups, and that's at um, the University of Chichester. And prior to this, she worked with vocational and professional dancers as a guest lecturer, um, researcher, and the manager of the Healthier Dancer program at One Dance UK. I met Sarah while I was at Trinity Laban, and she was our graduate intern, right, um, while she was getting her PhD there. And her PhD focused on the cardiorespiratory demands of contemporary dance training and performance and examined appropriate methods for documenting both of these. Sarah currently serves on the promotion committee and as advisor to the student committee for the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. And alongside all these other functions, she's also undertaking physiological research with the UK Armed Forces, and she's also involved in the new BSc program in dance science at the University of Chichester, um, where she works conducting research with dancers in, in that same university. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. She's in New York City visiting from the UK. Do you want to start by just telling us a little bit more about um, your personal research into the cardiorespiratory demands of contemporary dance training and performance? Sure. Thanks for inviting me to talk to you today. It's great. And uh, yeah, my, my PhD, as you say, looked at cardiorespiratory fitness. So quite broadly looked at this um, in contemporary dance students training at Trinity Laban. Um, and we looked at their adaptation their fitness changes over the course of their training. Uh, we looked at how to properly measure cardiorespiratory fitness in dancers. And we looked at the specific demands of their performance rep and the variety in this over the different rep they were doing. So really broad and lots of fun. I got to spend lots of time in the studio with dancers, hooking them up to gas analyzers and heart rate monitors. And... Yeah, my, the research I'm undertaking at the minute at Chichester with the dancers is looking uh, more at training load. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at how their training load is distributed over the course of their program and where those kind of crunch points in that might be in their timetable. Great. Um, so by training load, you just mean their, um, the demands of their program, like where, the, where they are having to do the most dance effort. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So in terms of hours, but also mm -hmm. intensity oh, great. Okay. of that work. Great. Yeah. Um, so this is the first segment that we've really done on cardiorespiratory fitness, and I think it's something that a lot of dancers um, are starting to become aware of in terms of their, their need for adding that into their, their cross-training, but I think a lot of people don't really know what they should be doing or how to do it or... Um, what amount to do, so I'm excited to unpick that with you. So could you start just by saying, like, what is cardiorespiratory fitness? When is someone fit? When are they not? What does it involve physiologically? Yeah, so essentially we can split it down into the two words. So cardio, relating to cardiac, so your heart. Respiratory, relating to respiratory systems, so lungs. So essentially it's these systems working together to supply your muscles with fuel through blood flow during exercise. So providing the muscles with oxygen, glucose, so that they can sustain work. So in terms of fitness, there's a whole kind of complex 
lots of different bodily systems that contribute to this. But essentially, an, an efficient system means that you can get all the fuel you need to the muscles and remove any waste products that build up during that exercise. So often we talk about uh, maximum capacity, mm -hmm. so the maximum amount of oxygen you can take in, and we talk about cardiorespiratory endurance, so your ability to sustain that work. So people talk about different words like aerobic, stamina, um, in that as well. So overall, the more efficient all of these systems are at working together, the easier it is to cope with the demands of an activity. So a fitter person is more efficient mm -hmm. and can cope with the demands better. Great. Um, so maximum capacity is like how, um, how much power, like how fast you can ride the bike at like your most effortful. So that would be anaerobic uh -huh. maximum capacity. So okay. we can split the systems a little bit more into anaerobic, uh -huh. which is your kind of without oxygen. Okay. the powerful, intense, fast movements, and then aerobic, which is, in a way, your more kind of sustained uh, movements, which require oxygen okay. for those contractions. But maximum aerobic capacity is just how much oxygen your body is able to take in and use. Okay, great. For activity. Um, and endurance is, of course, like the, the length of time for which you can sustain yeah. whatever the effort is, whether exactly. it's maximal or submaximal. Yeah. Or, okay. Um, and you talked in the very beginning about adaptations. So when someone is fit versus un unfit, like what adaptations take place in the, in the body in order to result in fitness? So a lot of, a lot of different ones. Yeah, we're going like, to get really biochemical yeah, I'll here. Try and, uh, hang in there, folks. Yeah, try and keep it uh, <laughs> applied. So the size and strength of your heart muscle okay. so its ability to pump blood around your body uh -huh. essentially yeah. uh, improves the your lung capacity so the amount of oxygen you can take up in your lungs and then the other one is related to your muscles ability to extract the oxygen from the blood uh -huh. that flows through so that's where it gets very biochemical okay <laughs> but essentially yeah you know you, you take in the oxygen, mm -hmm. it goes into your blood, pumps around the body, and then is extracted by the muscle. And then right. waste products go back into the blood and back out Great. of the body. So all of those processes can improve, uh -huh. and they all string together to, to make a fitter person. Great. That's really interesting because that starts to tie together one of my questions that I had for later, which is like how muscle soreness relates to cardiorespiratory fitness. So... Um, we'll get into that a bit, a bit more in a moment. Um, but this idea that we're talking, like you said, it's all in the name, cardiorespiratory, respi as uh -huh. you say, cardiorespiratory, <laughs> as I say, um, it's the heart and the, the lungs, but then there's this additional factor of how well the muscles uh -huh. can, can, um, make use of all of that. Definitely. Great. So what are the cardio demands of dance? So dance is generally classified as a high-intensity intermittent activity, which basically just means that we do these kind of intense bursts of high-intensity activity, and then that's followed by either a kind of slower, less intense period or recovery. Mm -hmm. So at the end of a ballet class, 
doing a big jump sequence, having a rest, doing it again, mm -hmm. repeating those movements. Um, but this basically means that your cardiorespiratory systems need to be able to act quickly, to, as we've talked about before, with anaerobic, aerobic, to supply that energy for the high-intensity bouts. But then the, another important element is they also need to be able to support recovery during the less intense periods. So recovery is a big element that, right. that can help dancers. If you have a more efficient recovery, then you're able to continue those high-intensity bouts right. uh, better. Right. So, um, so fitness isn't just about how well you can endure the, the demands. It's also about how quickly you can recover yeah, exactly. from that experience. Great. And also to clarify that, like, all of this is specific, right? That's like a big mm -hmm. word in your field where, it is, yeah. um, like, a marathon runner can have a very specific type of fitness for what they do, and that has to do with more continuous aerobic activity. Mm -hmm. And they can be very, very fit, but not necessarily good at doing interval high-intensity um, work that a dancer might do, and vice versa, right? Exactly. So the... The easiest sports comparison uh -huh. with the type of energy that we're using in dance is more like a field sport. Okay. So soccer, soccer right. or field hockey or something uh -huh. where you're having to do these quick bursts and then recover and then another quick burst. Whereas a marathon runner just continuously goes, a sprinter just does one really high intense right. bout. So it's that repeated... Uh, nature. Right. And it's it. not like one is superior to the other. Like they're no, all, all different ways of being fit, but a person wants to make sure that they're becoming fit in the way that is specific to their training. So if dancers are having to do a lot of this interval high intensity, then they want to make sure that they're conditioning themselves in that way. Because going for an eight mile run, while it might have other benefits, isn't specifically helping them with their dance training, their dance fitness. It takes a lot more time uh -huh. as well. So uh -huh. you don't necessarily need to schedule in hours to go for a long run. Right. You can do a 20-minute quick interval training session. Great. Which is also then going to be more specific. Great. Yeah. So let's segue into that. That's perfect. So, um, so what type of conditioning program would you recommend for dancers based on all of this? And that fact that it doesn't have to be long is so important, right? Because we know mm -hmm. that overtraining is a big issue with dancers and leads to injuries. So yeah, going for an eight mile, an hour long run, a lot of dancers don't have the time for it simply in their scheduling. And it's also perhaps too burdensome for their body and could lead to burnout and, and overtraining. So what instead would you recommend? So I, I would definitely recommend these, this, I mean, it's one of those buzzwords that's been flying around mm -hmm. in fitness for a while now, this HIT training, yeah, high-intensity yeah. interval training. Right. But I think it, it's one that will stick around because mm -hmm. physiologically it, it actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not like some of the other fitness crazes and fads that come around. Um, and essentially it is, it is that, you know, doing whatever movement you want within that. So it could be running, it could be cycling, it could be using jumping, a, jumping rowing, rope, it could or, be yeah. jumping, it could be using body weight exercises. Mm -hmm. Um burpees and things like that yeah um something that gets your heart rate gets you into that high intensity zone so 80 percent plus of your individual ability and then giving yourself the short rest and then going again and going again so really any activity that you enjoy the most is kind of a simple way to start with yeah. it 
because it has to be something you enjoy. Yeah, because you'll do it. <laughs> you know, short warm up, twenty minutes, short cool down, uh-huh. half an hour in total, as many times you know, three times a week or whatever you can fit in. So like running really fast on the treadmill and then walking. Yeah. And then running really fast on the treadmill and then walking. And and how, for how long should those running bouts take place? I mean, I know it's not exact, but roughly. You want to think of it more in terms of uh, ratios okay. of work to rest. So gen- sort of a minute, two minutes max, I would uh-huh. say. So anything from kind of 30 seconds up to two, two minutes. minutes. And then either, you know, as you're starting off, you can give yourself like a one-to-one ratio. So yeah. a minute work, a minute rest. Okay. Uh, as you get a little bit fitter, you can challenge yourself more by either extending the work period or making it more intense, uh-huh. or by shortening the rest, the rest period. Okay. So you can kind of play with those work to rest ratios uh, just to keep that challenge and going for the Right, work. and it's probably val- valuable to do that because again, if we want to replicate sort of your experience in dance, it's not like every single time you're gonna go all out for two minutes and then rest for 30 seconds. Sometimes no. it's gonna be 30 seconds, sometimes yeah. it's two minutes, sometimes it's, you know, a, a four, minute rest period mm-hmm. and a 30 second rest period mm-hmm. so and again to model your dance training um you can variate that stuff and how does a dancer know when they're in that high intensity zone because like you do a lot of technical you use a lot of equipment mm-hmm. to really yeah. make sure you're you're looking at that but how just can the lay person go to the gym and know that they're in that zone I mean, you can use sort of a scale, so uh-huh. a feeling scale of, you know, a 1 to 10. So to be working at 80%, you want to be working at an 8 or a 9 out of 10. I mean, generally, when you're getting towards a 10 out of 10, that's really uncomfortable, very difficult to sustain. And it's not necessarily a feeling a lot of people are used to. Yeah. So we find when we do max tests with dancers that they're not used to working at that really, really high intensity. So it... Yeah. You, I think like you know when you're getting near that point. Yeah. You don't want to be working so you're almost passing out. You know you have to keep it uh, moderated. But in order to overload the system, you do have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. So you have to provide enough stress on the system uh, that it's going. And I think people. I think mean, dancers very in tune with their bodies. Pretty intuitive. I think people know when they're working at an eight out of ten and when they're working at a six out of ten. Yeah, that's. Um just a little anecdote when I was at Laban and we went to go look at a lab where they do more of this really um, impressive research like what you're doing you know the treadmills have like belts so that yep. the people don't fall yeah. off <laughs> because harnesses yeah. yeah because if you're really crash asking an behind. athlete to yeah crash mats behind <laughs> them because if you're asking an athlete to go to their max like yeah they might run so hard that they go flying off the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and I and something that I also took away at Laban was this idea that like it's not that dancers aren't used to doing that because they're lazy or something. No, no. Far from it. It's just that because there's such technical demands mm-hmm. in what mm-hmm. we do, we're just never really able to push ourselves into those maximal zones because we always have to retain a little bit of effort for pointing our toes and getting our portabra yeah. right and keeping our facial expressions in very neutral form. We're not allowed it's, to just never grunt be, and scream yeah. and just go as fast as we can in one direction. It's never going to be pretty when it's 10 out of 10 You're right. <laughs> intensity. Right. Yeah. So that's a good thing for dancers to keep in mind that like, mm-hmm. uh, 
when they're doing a more simple activity like running on a treadmill than say a petite allegro, that that could be a chance to kind of push a little further than they do in petite allegro. And that's a really important point as well about you about how we term dance specific fitness mm-hmm. training. So as you talked about, it can be specific in terms of replicating the work to rest ratio and the type of energy pathway that you're using mm-hmm. for that. But it's generally advisable to use quite simple functional movements when you're pushing the intensity. Right. So when you're working at a really high intensity is not the time when you want to be doing something that's really complex and requires a lot of fine motor control. Right. Because that's when you are maybe more likely to trip and injure yourself or so you want to keep it very focused. Uh-huh. Am I doing am I working on my fitness today? Okay, so I'm going to, you know, running is the easiest example because that's a a very familiar simple, activity that we know familiar movement but it doesn't have to be running um but you can really then just focus on the fitness mm-hmm. and push yourself in maybe a safer way if you're doing really complicated intricate footwork and jumps and things like that it's maybe not the time to be focusing on your fitness then you're focusing on your technique right right and this is something where i think we could steal from sport a little bit because they're they're very specific about like today we're doing a, mm-hmm. a technique drill. We're really working technique today. Yeah. And then another day it's like, okay, now we're working strength today and now we're working endurance. And so that's great for dancers to think like there isn't a workout that's going to do everything. No, I think it allows for more efficient training as well. Mm-hmm. And especially as we're saying with heavy workloads, yeah. it's a more concentrated specific use of time. Right. So rather than going in the studio for an hour and trying to do everything at once. Right. I'm going to spend 20 minutes on my cardio and then I'm going to spend 20 minutes working on, on this, bra on this my thing that I have that I want to coordination. Yeah. 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 That leap that I can't get, can't quite get right. Um, so going back to the idea that your heart and your lungs have a certain, um, way of being fit, but so too do your muscles. Um, So lately I've been talking a lot with students trying to help them understand that sometimes soreness is a sign that they're Mm under-conditioned for the activities that they're engaging in. So could you talk about the relationship between muscle soreness and um, not strength-specific to that muscle? So like let's say calf soreness. This is a place where dancers get a lot Mm -hmm. of soreness, right, in their calves. So could you talk about how... Um, the heart and lungs and their fitness actually contribute to sore calves? I guess it it, it kind of comes back to to the point I was making about the more efficient a muscle, the less stress gets put through it for, say, a set movement. Mm -hmm. And so the the less fit you are, the harder that muscle has to work to achieve the same output. So right. if you have 10 dancers in a class mm-hmm. and they're all doing the same jump sequence and one of them has got a good all-round fitness level, you know, good muscular strength, and as you say, for the activity, but also can get enough oxygen mm-hmm. to their muscles for the contraction while they're going, isn't you know, completely dead at the end of that exercise. And then another dancer who is, the dancer who's less fit has had to work a lot harder in every respect right. during that exercise. So their heart and lungs are working harder, their muscles working harder. It's kind of fighting to, to give that same movement quality right. as the fitter dancer. So again, it's all of these complex systems coming together in the body, but it comes back to that point that, that the fitter you are, the less hard 
the activity is. Right. So the less hard the muscles having to work, the less stress is put through the system, uh, which all then relates on to fatigue in that muscle. Right. So if we were to use even just an example of like going for a walk, like mm-hmm. someone who's very, very deconditioned, either just through lifestyle or through illness or something like that, you know, a four block walk could be really exhausting yeah. to them and they might really feel even the next day like soreness in their muscles because of that and overall fatigue whereas like you know somebody who has a moderate level of fitness isn't even going to notice exactly that yeah that so excursion. It's, all about, it's all about level of stress yeah you put your body through right and fatigue is very complicated there are a lot of different theories of, on mm-hmm. fatigue but um I'm trying to think of the best way to put this now. Yeah. Um, but essentially there's this accumulative effect of fatigue as well, which right. is maybe something that, that dancers really have to think about as well. So I do a class in the morning and my level of fitness is, is okay to cope with the demands of that class. Right. But then I have a certain level of fatigue in my muscles uh-huh. from that class. And then, and then I go, go on to another, another class. Rehearsal, and then another one and another one and then a performance and then right. I don't get much sleep. And then so there's also this kind of accumulative um, effect of fatigue, which fitness can protect you against to some degree. I mean, if you're an athlete or a dancer or someone who's doing a lot of physical activity, you're going to get muscle soreness. You're going to get mm-hmm. fatigued. Um, but yeah, there's this a protective Great. element there. Great. Um, and sort of I, going off of that, like a, a lot of dancers feel like dance is the best way to condition for dance, mm-hmm. you know? So going back to the calf example, like a dancer who feels really exhausted at the end of, say, a dance piece or a variation um, might just think, oh, I need to run that piece more often and choreographers do this and teachers do this you know like okay we're we just need to do it again and again um but there's risk in that and the risk in that is like overuse injuries Mm -hmm. right so being in point shoes and doing a lot of releves over and over again puts a certain stress on your joints um so another approach that people could use is to actually do a different type of of training that works a different muscle group but still is going to condition them better for that variation so even for example like could I do a really intense arm workout to help me not get so exhausted in my legs from a ballet variation arms to legs I'm not so sure about Uh um it, I mean, it, it, there's always a, it depends, you know, with science and as a researcher, we always, you know, people get annoyed at us because we always yeah. say, well, it depends, you know, yeah. it's kind of complicated <laughs> and there's no one simple answer. But um, certainly a different leg workout or a different uh-huh. whole body workout uh-huh. is going to condition. I mean, it, again, to put it really simply, anything that gets your heart rate up and gets you out of breath right. is going to help to some extent. Right. But there are also, as we said before, these kind of peripheral, as we call them, muscle adaptations right so there is a degree to which like strength training has to be specific so um so at at a certain point you might need more specific calf strength Mm -hmm. to get through that variation not just cardio endurance as well in terms of um that ability as i said for the muscle to keep taking up oxygen from the blood and for the Uh blood flow to get through that muscle i see um 
but it doesn't have to be the same exercise I think is the key right that we're you know I totally agree with you about the big problem we have in dance is this repetitive movement which puts so much specific strain on the muscles and supporting structures yeah. um so a completely different leg workout or mm-hmm. whole body workout or something mm-hmm. uh, is still targeting those same muscles mm-hmm. but it's just giving the patterns a bit of rest. yeah like getting on a bike yeah. and unloading, then your ankle is a little more stable but you're still having to use your calves and your quads and those bigger muscles yeah, exactly. and you're not necessarily having to do plantar flexion and over and over and over again great yeah. um, I think the, uh, the, the running of a piece over and over again is an interesting one because I think the reason that sticks around is because physiologically, to some extent, it does work. Mm-hmm. Like it will help. It will get you through the activity, right. but it's just what getting you through uh-huh. as well. You're not going to... If we talk about um, stimulus and response, you're going to get just fit enough to do the activity. Whereas if you're overloading your system somewhere else outside, then you get just fitter than it. Right. And then again, you can work at a lower relative intensity right. during that movement. So, yeah, I mean, dancers will say if you keep running it, it does get easier. Physiologically, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's not the most efficient way. Right. Again, it's that split attentional focus. Am I focusing on learning the movement, on the spacing, on the piece? Right. Or am I getting Working on my heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's inefficient. It also, like we said, has, the, has these overuse mm-hmm. risks. Um, and then there's even issues of like burnout, like you get bored Mm -hmm. of that piece, you get bored of that variation. And we know like there's a lot of neurological and physiological components with burnout and there's an artistic component. Like any choreographer can tell you they don't want their piece too overworked that the dancers kind of get dry with it. So, um, there's, there's that component too. And I mean, you're going to do it enough anyway, mm-hmm. you know, by the time you take it out on tour, you know, you're going to, yes. you're going to have run through that piece, that piece. Yes. <laughs> a lot of times. Um, I want to talk about, I think two more things. So one is this overload. We should just clarify, cause I think that's something mm. that we don't talk about a lot in dance, but it's, um, sort of a keystone in your work that, can you explain what overload is? And yeah, the, the important distinction is that it's different from overwork or right. overtraining. Okay. So those being having a somewhat kind of negative, mm-hmm. I guess, like you're doing too much. Mm-hmm. Overload is, like you say, a really important physiological concept, a really important fitness mm-hmm. concept, and it's putting a bit more stress on the body than it's used to. So it's that getting out of the comfort zone. So if I can easily walk four blocks, then I need to walk six or eight, and that's my overload. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting extra strain on top of the system. And that's how it then builds back stronger and builds back fitter. Right. It basically tells the body like, oh, I'm not able to meet the demands. I better adapt. I better like grow some new cells, some new (laughs) mitochondria or what else happens physiologically. I don't know. Um, Build new enzymes, that sort (laughs) of things. Right. So, um, so the body says, oh, I, I, I'm not sufficient. I need to adapt. And then your body makes these adaptations Mm -hmm. and that's where either strength is gained or fitness is gained. Yeah. Um, but too, too much overload. Exactly. Repeated too much overload is when you then start to dip because your body goes, I can't, I can't keep up. Like yeah. I'm trying to get fitter and stronger, but I can't keep up with, with the demands that you're putting on me. So it's, it's a kind of fine tuned 
balance. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, athletes have you know, teams of people who put their schedule together perfectly mm-hmm. um, to ensure this. And we don't have that luxury in dance, but we do have these little nuggets of information and things that we can borrow and steal from sports. Yeah. Um, that certainly, physiologically, I mean, it's the same. It's an activity that you're you're trying to do and I'm not saying sports are the same as dance but in terms right. of sort of your base this is your muscle your this heart, is your lungs. heart this is yeah. your lungs right so we can borrow mm-hmm. and then adapt um, mm-hmm. with pretty good uh, certainty yeah and I think that's you know it's yeah just even thinking about these specific categories is really helpful like when a dancer isn't performing at the level they want for them to tease out like well is it your technique? Do you feel like you're not able to execute the shapes and the musicality and the coordination? Is it um, exhaustion to do with like duration? Like, is it um, that you, or is it a power issue? Are you not able to like get enough burst of energy to like leap off the ground in a really vibrant way, you know, and really trying to unpick those separate components. That's something you're really seeming to be talking about is this Mm. idea of like, think about what you're going to look at and then work on that specifically. Yeah, it's it's definitely more efficient in terms of the physiology, but uh-huh. also in terms of time, yep. as we keep saying. Yep. Um, and then lastly, your, so your PhD looked at um, contemporary dance training and contemporary dance performance. Mm-hmm. And what did you find in the differences between training and performance? So... We didn't specifically compare them in mind. Uh-huh. They were separate studies, but um, some previous work uh, by Matt Wine and Emma Redding has looked at that, and they were my supervisors for my mm-hmm. PhD, so we're kind of following on from that work. Um, and generally, there's a big gap. Yeah. So training, intensity, class, and the, certainly the earlier stages of rehearsals where you're just mapping out movement mm-hmm. are much lower intensity, mm-hmm. and then performance is much higher intensity, generally. I mean, we found... We did a lot of different performance measurements uh, during my PhD research, and dancers were intermittently working at 90% of their maximal capacity. In performance. Which, as we talked about before, I mean, dancers are really good at covering it up, right. while, especially while they're performing. That's amazing, yeah. But it's, it's very difficult to sustain, and it's a lot of stress right. on the body. Um, so trying to bridge that gap yeah. is something that I'm really focused on and interested in. Yeah. Um, and preparation to perform totally. is my big message that I want to get out to dancers yeah so what I mean that so basically what what you're saying is um in terms of fitness dance training is not adequately preparing dancers for performance and I mean we see this in all kinds of ways we see this in um companies where new members get injured a lot Mm -hmm. um or like I even feel like I see it in my friends when they have been with a company for a few years, like their bodies change. They look physically different, Mm -hmm. you know, they look more like athletes, a leaner, you know, because it's like suddenly they're doing that 90% of maximal capacity for two hours a night, Mm -hmm. four nights a week, perhaps for, you know, 30 weeks out of the year. That's really, really different. And we do find that dancers, there's one uh, study in particular that shows that dancers get fitter during a, tour yeah or performance run yeah um because they're doing that more high intensity work right but the problem is that they're not being helped to get to that yeah so it'd be better if we saw the peak in fitness just before they went on tour yeah 
So they're already prepared to meet those higher demands and then they just do the run. Especially because tour has a lot of other stressors. Like you're not in your own home. You're not, you know, if you're touring internationally and you're suddenly exposed to totally different foods than your body's used to and you have jet lag and Mm -hmm. there's just so many stresses on tour. It's still going to contribute to fatigue as well. Exactly. So that's going to make you more fatigued. And then you're also at your suddenly hitting your peak Mm -hmm. of effort. Wouldn't it be good if it was one less thing to worry about was your fitness. Exactly. And that's that's definitely my take on it. It's, let's give a bit of time to preparation, mm-hmm. and then you don't have to worry about it. You yeah. can just think about being a beautiful, technical, perfectionist. Yeah, phenom <laughs> out there um, on the stage, yeah. And, you know, wowing audiences everywhere and not having to think at the same time, like, can I get through my this? lungs are burning or right. my legs feel heavy. So to finish, what do you think, when you say that that's your mission, mm. What, what thoughts would you like to leave us with as, like, dance teachers and institutions and dancers? What do you think we need to be... I, I think it's, it's a bit of a, perhaps a culture shift in terms of thinking ahead and be thinking more proactively rather than reactively. Mm-hmm. So rather than getting to that late stage of rehearsal and thinking all these dancers are struggling to get through this piece, thinking earlier on... You know, maybe I haven't made all the creative decisions about this piece yet, but I think it's, you know, it's going to be quite a kind of powerful, fast-paced piece. So maybe I need to put some, a little bit of time for some fitness work or, you know, at least warn the dancers. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to be doing a really physical piece. Try and make Get sure you're gym. conditioned before you come in. I think especially for, for freelance dancers, yeah. there's there's a real importance of in downtime in between not downtime there's never downtime yeah. in between <laughs> times in between contracts or when you know you're going into something um trying to build up that base uh-huh. of fitness so i have a good baseline cardio fitness level i have good baseline kind of upper body lower body core muscle strength and endurance so that hopefully then whatever demands get thrown at you when you're then in that contract and time becomes a premium mm-hmm. your body has a level of baseline fitness that it can cope with some of those demands being mm-hmm. thrown at you. Mm-hmm. So it's think just trying to think a little bit more. Yeah. In the f- what's happening in the future? Yeah. What's happening in the next six months? What's happening in the next that c- three months? That culture shift of like getting away from the fact of like, oh oh the 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 show is next week. I better get in shape. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've heard that. Like it takes a then, bit longer than that. Is the and then, yeah, <laughs> and people end up injured. I've seen it happen where somebody feels the threat. Oh, I need to get in shape for this mm-hmm. show that's happening in two weeks. Suddenly they start a conditioning regimen, mm. and then they're injured at the show because they've thrown in another you know a new activity. They haven't yeah. had time to adapt. They haven't adjusted. And that's at a time when you're spending however many hours a day in rehearsal as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the time when you want to just be focusing on on the technical and artistic the rehearsal and the artistic and, aspects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Better to say in the early phases, like, wow, we had a three-hour rehearsal and I hardly got my heart rate up at all because we were mm-hmm. just sort of exploring some concepts and mm-hmm. some ideas and yeah. experimenting with an, an idea of a duet and, and we don't have any material yet, so it, it wasn't very vigorous. Okay, even though it was mentally exhausting, I should discipline myself to, like, now's the right time to go to the gym mm-hmm. and really give my heart rate a great challenge so that when this piece is done, I'm ready for it. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But that's a big, that's a big culture shift. So yeah, we'll, we'll try and implement things as and when we can, I think is the other thing. Don't have to kind of 
torture yourself and think, oh, I was supposed to do this preparation and yeah, now yeah. it's too late and now I've run out of time and uh -huh, I'm never going to uh -huh. be fit enough. You know, it's, it's any small thing you can add in is better than nothing. Right. Per don't let perfect be the enemy of, of good. <laughs> if you, you know, oh, I managed to get out and do a walk slash run for, for 20 minutes this week. Like, great. Okay. So you added 20 right. minutes of good, you have otherwise good done. cardio work that you didn't do the week before. Right. That's right. fine. And then you build on it from there. Great. Sarah, this has been really informative. Thank you so much. Is there anything else Thank you'd you. like to add? Me. No, it's great. I mean, it's just been really nice to be able to talk through some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I spent four years sat in a room doing the PhD <laughs> research. So uh, it's really nice to be able to share some of the information with dancers. And yeah, I hope it's helpful. It's very helpful. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, Ellie Kushner, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dancewell Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud and search Dancewell Podcast to subscribe. We'll be releasing bi-monthly episodes with an emphasis on exploring 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Have questions or want to get in touch? Email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.